From deep in the heart of Texas, it's time to chain fire some freedom with another episode of the Clover Tack Podcast. Listen in as we have a conversation with people from the firearm industry and community. Are you ready for the show? We are too. Let's go. What's up, crew? Welcome to another Clover Tack Podcast. This one being recorded May 24th. Uh, 2022 got a uh, got a very special guest on deck for this one we've got dave from uh, the blue uh, collar logic channel uh, over on the youtube by the way wherever you're watching or listening to this there's probably a link down in the description below highly encourage you to uh, if you like what you hear today from dave that sort of thing uh, and want to learn more jump over there and of course check it out scrolling at the bottom of the screen for those in video mode as always we thank thanks to our patreon patrons our youtube channel members those that super chat super thanks and of course uh, help out by buying the cool stickers and patches and other swag over at clovertech.com slash shop so with that out of the way here let's get to the man of the hour and we uh, got dave in the house how are you man i'm good chris how are you i'm doing very very well um want to take a a minute here we're going to um i called you a very special guest in a good way because normally we're talking on this podcast with people from the firearm industry the farm community that sort of thing you're really a member of neither but uh, a recent live stream you had uh, was, you know, intrigued when some Second Amendment, some gun culture, gun-related mm-hmm. things come up. And I thought, wow, this could be a, a good conversation. I want to give you a minute and let you just talk about who you are, about the Blue, Co- uh, Blue Collar Logic channel, uh, if you would, and kind of get my audience familiar with who is Dave. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, that's very kind of you. Um, I'm Dave Morrison. And I am one half or was one half of the Blue Collar Logic channel. Many people have seen our videos. We were pretty, we were pretty popular there for a while. And um, my partner, Jason Seiler, and I w- w- were a couple of conservative guys here in the belly of the California liberal beast. And um, we had run into each other uh, on a lot of sort of uh, warfare threads on Facebook and got to liking the way each other thought and we became friends and uh, we decided to try doing a channel together and we first started on Facebook and got pretty popular there and then we came over to YouTube in uh, early 2018 I believe it was and uh, the rest is uh, history as checkered as it that history may be and i also if if this uh if this actually turns up on my channel i want to encourage my friends to go check out your channel well i appreciate so it what is your youtube channel uh my two youtube channel would be clover tack of course and uh not everyone's cup of tea obviously uh firearm related stuff from reviews to yeah. obviously interviews like this and, and things of that nature but well, uh, it popped right up when i went looking for it so it's not a, yeah. it's not a problem they'll they'll find right. you right and, should be and easy enough do you find that you do a lot of you so it's kind of an education channel i i noticed on your uh, on your email that you belong to quite a few um organizations uh true yes they seem to that seems to be uh sort of focused 
more on the sporting aspect of things than it would be on sort of, say, the political aspect of, of guns, which unfortunately have become a, a, a political hot button issue as well. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I've got a I've got a background. Obviously, it's a lifelong, a literal lifelong. I, I tease about my mom having a hard time with birth, uh, seeing how I come out holding a shotgun. But um, it literally so it like blocks the door, doesn't it? It's like, how do <laughs> right. I do this? No, hold right. it long ways. Right. Right. Poke it toward the sunshine, uh, son. But 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 muzzle safety, <laughs> muzzle safety there. Got to be careful which way you point it. But yeah, um, it's true. But yeah, I mean, I don't, a lot of people talk about their first firearms and stuff like that. And, and I, I don't remember the first one I actually shot. Uh, so lifelong firearm owner was involved in youth shooting sports as a, a coach, uh, a manager, a coach and an instructor for a couple of decades there. So um, have a lot of experience with using these, these tools, these mm -hmm. uh, machines that, you know, people often want to put human traits to, um, you know, in context with, with kids, I mean, that's a horrible idea to a lot of people. Um, but when you're safe, when you're responsible, when you tick all of these boxes, right? Uh, so, yeah, big. I'm a big uh, proponent of, of that, of responsible firearm ownership, obviously. Uh, and then, you know, you can't have a firearm-related YouTube channel without doing reviews, without checking out this rifle or this right. handgun. And is this any good? You know, is this going to hold up? Is this a piece of junk? You know, that sort of thing. So I kind of am a jack of all trades, master of none in that I do a little bit of everything on the channel, but uh, uh, yeah, I've been around it a long time. I do love the, the second amendment activist community as well. Um, and I have a lot of those folks on the podcast talk about all the things that they're doing uh, from, as you, you talk about the political side of things, right? right. Um, and I don't fancy myself, though, as an activist, for sure. I'm an advocate of firearm owner, like I said, safe, responsible firearm ownership and that sort of thing. But I don't fancy myself as as an activist. The You know, some of these other people, they eat, sleep, just live it every hour of every day. Um, I enjoy firearms too much, I think, to take that approach. I like being out on the range and actually. You don't want to. You don't want to squeeze all the fun out of it by by having this it always be the locus of some sort of battle. Right. But when certain things arise, like last year here in Texas, we were moving finally after uh, decades of, of working in that direction. We moved towards, of course, uh, pushing uh, or passing, I should say, constitutional carry. So there for a few months with the Texas legislative session, I was involved uh, through my channel and then obviously personally and with other organizations here in Texas to working toward those those measures. But, uh, uh, yeah, all encompassing on this end. And that's what I said, not necessarily a a. Uh, a lot of folks out there not their cup of tea, and I, and I totally get that. Well, uh, let me let me also say to to our uh, collected audience that we uh, Chris and I have de determined that this wouldn't be so much an interview as a conversation. Right. So um, if I ask him questions, don't don't feel bad <laughs> if he answers them. It's his his job is not simply as an interviewer today. So don't don't uh, hang that on him. Uh, yeah, so I a... think this would be a good time, Chris, for us to just read the Second Amendment, right? Just so it, just yeah. real quick. Uh, unless you've got it like tattooed, I, it uh, does. I, like yes, that. I know it. So I, I would. It, uh, I would not be here. Be the guy. I, am if I, I, I still have. But. I still have to read it. So it's a. <laughs> it's a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, keep and bear arms, shall not be infringed. So. Um, do you feel like the the you you said constitutional carry? That's what made me think that maybe we should just quickly glance at the Second Amendment. Sure. Um, 
uh, that's one of the things I don't feel very comfortable about is is if if I looked around in say where I live mm-hmm. and everybody was toting a gun, I would not feel as comfortable. So you, but you feel differently about that. I feel totally different about that. But but yet we also have some things in common. This is what's crazy, right? Mm-hmm. So yes, um, I have no problems with it. Um, but I am not in a situation. I fully get where if somebody was maybe living in the inner city, you know, that sort of thing. Right. But I think it also goes into knowing your neighbors and knowing those around you. Um, so, you know, one of my questions to kick it back to you for a second would be with your closest friends and family members and relatives and whatever, if those were the people around you carrying and you knew they were responsible and safe with said firearms, do you think you would have as big a problem with it? No, of course I wouldn't, although half of my friends are lunatics. So can that half not carry them, please? <laughs> right. Um, right. You know, that's, uh, that's a conversation, actually, that goes but, on inside the, the firearm community. But say if, we're at, say if we're at a party and I know all the people there and say it's a, a gathering for a Christmas dinner or something like sure, that. Sure, sure. Then it seems uh, it seems like one of the things that oh well why would anyone want to carry in, mm-hmm. in that situation? It, it seems if there isn't danger around... Why would we worry about it? So that puts us yep. back in the inner city again, where there, yep. you know, the place where there actually might be some danger. But I, I just want to quickly glance on this thought, thought that I've brought up many times to my liberal friends who just don't get guns. And, you know, they, they go into their their anti-gun bubble whenever we have one of these shootings. And, and I say, you know, it it set and setting is is a thing that I've heard many times. Mindset mm-hmm. and the setting is very, very key to all kinds of different decisions that we make. And if you are in a big city, say you're just in Manhattan or Brooklyn or someplace like that, maybe not the inner city, but just a, a congested city. Sure. And uh, you're go- walking down the sidewalk and somebody opens the trunk of their car and you notice it's full of guns. <laughs> and then they, they quickly close it. They don't, they're, you know, they're not doing anything other than revealing that they've got a trunk full of guns. Mm-hmm. Um, in if if that was taking place in say a rural town in Kansas or something like that, you would figure, oh, that's a guy going to his gun meet. You know, it's a, it's a collector going to somewhere or going sure. to a gun show, or perhaps he's going out to the shooting range and he wants to shoot a number of guns. It would not cross your mind that this is that, that this is necessarily a problem because right. you'd be surrounded by that culture in which guns are sporting tools and also. Uh, you know, that uh, also getting together with your family and doing a hobby kind of a thing with, you know, grandfather, father, son, you know, just like going to a ball game or something. Yeah, it's right. a recreational thing and a family bonding thing. Um, it, but if it was in Brooklyn or Manhattan, you would think there was a crisis on your hands and you'd get on the phone and dial 911 and duck for cover. Right. You know, right. because it's so it's very very different so so some some of the people who are most vigorously against any almost any kind of gun ownership uh-huh. they live in a world where they they there are too many strangers around them ever to really be in that situation that you and I were discussing where you're among friends and you trust them all right and and Somebody in a more rural environment is almost never in a, in a place where they can't get a pretty good fix on on the vibe. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that I think that for those that choose to carry a firearm for uh, for their protection, 
Um, and and don't get me wrong, you can choose all kinds of things from pepper spray to um, you know batons in states where it's legal, you know other things. Um, but for those that choose that, you know I think that the number one thing that I hear within the firearm community, and particularly those that do carry firearms, is the very first defensive weapon that you have is sitting on top of your neck and it's your head. It's the ability to um, have that situational awareness, right? To be able to read your surroundings, to know what's going on. And people have a problem nowadays of their head being stuck in that phone all the time, all the time, all the time. And that's problematic. Um, And then also not just the situational awareness to avoid those situations, right? Uh, But also, to have the ability, lost my train of thought a little bit, but, uh, oh, de-escalation is where I was going at, to have the ability. So let's say that it something does or some type of uh, friction between you and another person, right? How can you de-escalate that? Let's say right. that you you it's a fender bender type bumper situation, right? And the other car guy jumps out of the vehicle and he's mad and he just wants to beat you up. And verbal judo right how can you talk to that person can you de-escalate the situation can you make fun of yourself can you you know assure him that you've got good insurance that's going to take care of the problem and and bring that situation down to where it doesn't escalate um is it a situation to where um you know you can talk your way out of it right and obviously in an ambushed style situation and a lot of these mass murder situations that we see you don't see it coming um, and it's it works the same in my mind as a house fire a lot of times. Um, it works the same as, as having a first aid kit or something on your on your person uh, in case something happens. Um, and that's where I see the, the safe responsible use of firearms or the carrying of firearms. Now, to your to your point earlier, and we're going to be back and forth here, I think a lot, but that's sure. okay because it's a conversation. But to your point earlier about you would not feel comfortable seeing people. The vast majority of people concealed carry. So, and that's a part of the constitutional carry thing. Um, and, you know, there are there are inner debates with the firearm community, whether I do both. I do both. I conceal and I, I open carry both because I think fighting the social stigma of me having a open carrying a firearm, I think is important, but I don't like to open carry a firearm all the time. The, you know, at the same time. So it's the right to I would, choose. Basically, I would think maybe for for your own safety, because if there's say you're you're in, a, you know, 7-Eleven or what, I don't know if you have those out there, some kind of quickie mark yes, and yeah. you're open carrying and there's no crisis going on. But somebody takes that moment. That's the moment somebody comes in deciding to rob it mm-hmm. and he's going to pull a gun out. If he sees you with a holster on you, you're the target. He's going to take Possibly. you out. So, uh, you know, if he's there to kill people and take money, right? right. Just, just well, imagining the worst case scenario. If he comes right. in or if he, he might look at you and say, okay, there's another 7-Eleven five miles down the road. Right. I'll go there. And I think that that would be very likely. It. That yeah. would be very likely to happen. Yeah, you beat me um, to it as a deterrent. Yeah. Does that make me a target or does that make me a deterrent? And in the situation, if this guy is whacked out of his gourd, then who knows, right? But right. if it's a situation where they're just there to snag some money, odds are they're going somewhere else. They're not. They're not going to get into a life and death altercation. They're going to choose a, a softer target, so to speak. Yeah, I take your point, and I and I think that that's generally true about bad guys. Bad guys aren't in that trade because they find that it's you know a, a 
a place for them to well, be heroic all the time. They're there to get something from people and get away. Yeah, the vast uh, majority. The vast the, majority. I would think for the most part. Um, Again, we've always got we, the crazies. When we talk about the mass, the mass altercations that we talk about, the, these mass murders. Right. Um, a couple of things is, I mean, those people. There's a case to be made that they would have done that regardless of the tools they choose to use to do those. Yes. And the second part of that goes into the deterrence factor that most of those are picking soft targets. They're picking things that are gun free zones. And so, you know, you might have some armed security in some of those places. You might, uh, in a case with like Parkland, let's say Parkland, you know, the school, uh, there was, you know, an armed security officer there, uh, the newest, uh, uh, incident tragedy we had in buffalo there was a armed security officer obviously there but you know that did not do it it, it didn't it didn't stop yeah apparently doing what they needed apparently to. in that case that guy did become a target he did apparently. but he ran into it from the reports i heard he actually yeah. ran into which is admirable for that day. i mean that's the definition well, of a hero poking around here i had a, i had a, a note that i was going to have in my hand and i don't know where it went so uh hang on just a second uh here it is it's just a, a couple of questions if i that's not even it uh -oh. Uh -oh. <laughs> okay never mind uh, we well, will wing it we'll, we'll be fine okay so all right so you know there is there is that thing and it and again it's situational and um i i think th can i ask where you um where you reside, not not specifically, but are a you very, in a more are you more rural? Very rural part of rural part of East Texas. Um, but I'm I, I want to hit on something. I was going to do this earlier when I said we had this in common. In your live stream, you talked about owning a firearm, and hopefully you said that on live stream. So hopefully I'm not giving anything mm -hmm. away. But you said that you did own one, but you didn't feel that that you even needed it because you know your neighbors, you feel safe in your surroundings. Totally. Basically what you said earlier. So I'm traveling this weekend, as we spoke about, as you know, um, I often travel across the country. I, I go from Texas to Las Vegas, Texas to South Carolina, Texas to Indianapolis. I've been all over the place making these shows yeah. and doing these other things. Often drive it. Um, I don't know that I've ever been in a situation, and maybe it's my situational awareness. Maybe it's you know several other factors that come into play. Maybe I don't make myself look like a target. Um, I don't. I can. Tra I travel this country, and I don't. I don't feel unsafe. Now that yeah. doesn't mean that I don't want the option to be able to carry in the event I ever need one. Because again, those mass tragedies are they're a lightning strike and they can happen to anyone at any given time and and i would like the ability to be able to respond to such situation if it ever if it ever arose sure. but but to your point i agree with you i feel safe i think we live regardless of oh the rise in crime and, and everything that we hear i'm not going to sit here and try to dispute numbers or anything else especially coming out of the two years we came out of but um you know, we live in one of, if not the safest countries on the planet. Um, now we do. We there do. are there are pockets that, because of socioeconomic issues and a lot of other things, which don't get politicians to try to talk about that because they're not going to. Um, but there are pockets around this country that are obviously hotbeds for all sorts of crimes, right? Not just firearm-related crimes or, or murders in general, uh, but crime is rampant across the board, and you know. The, the common denominator there is is those are people that all, are often downtrodden and everything else and it's like how do you how do you work to lift those people up i mean we need to recognize that there's these um 
concentrated problems, right, in some areas of the country. Yes. And why don't we find the common denominators and fix some of those issues? To that point, there's some great organizations that a lot of your viewers and followers may not know about. We, we hear about the NRA, the, the National Rifle Association. We hear about the Gun Owners of America. We hear about uh, the Fire and Policy Coalition. We hear about all of these, some of these big three-letter pro-2A organizations. What you don't hear about uh, is some of the other ones that are out there. Uh, Guns for Everyone, for example, out of Colorado, a uh, big uh, Latino uh, following. You have uh, Aiming for the Truth, uh, which is, I believe, out of, I want to say out of St. Louis, out of Missouri, uh, which is focused more on inner city, more on, um, you know, the, the the black population out there. We've got um, the uh, Diversity Shoot. The second is for everyone, part of the same organizations up in New Jersey. Another all-inclusive, regardless of race, color, creed, you so, know, all of those things. So you're you're talking about these would be things where uh, where people would get involved with shooting, uh, gun safety, hobbyism, things like that, using guns as the uh, as the sort of common out the common uh, right, and also and also talking about some of the the racist implications of gun control in the past. When you're talking about things like aiming for the truth, they talk about things like Black Wall Street. I'll say go you know go look that up if you're not familiar. I think most of my followers are familiar with that. Uh, but they talk about things like like Black Wall Street. Um, and so you know they they was it's, that that, it's sectioned out. So was Black Wall ahead. Street that town that was Tulsa. wiped out long long ago? It was Tulsa. Yeah, it happened Tulsa. in Tulsa. Yeah. Right. Um where where there was a, a rising black middle class and the perception is that there was a there was a uh, intentional wiping out of that town by uh, white racists whether that's true or not. Uh, there's always more to these stories. And oftentimes there's some other dispute going on that coincides with race. Yes. And then when people are looking at it from a distance, they say, well, they're, they're, the people on one side were one color, the people on the other side. Therefore, it's racism. And this, this is really one of the uh, primary reasons, Chris, that, that Jason and I both got involved in uh, uh, running our mouths about issues on uh, videos is that we were really, really bothered about the... Um, the uh, identity politics mm -hmm. throws me off a little bit yes. when you when I look and there's only me on screen. I don't know who to talk to now. <laughs> I'm just used to, I'm my, used to switching things up. Showing so. you my big face, and I go, "Well, right. now who am I talking to?" Yeah, uh, <laughs> everyone, so everyone. I'll, I'll get used to it. But we, uh, but there's, uh, you know, when you put everything everything through that lens, and I've been I've been doing a, a study between AM talk radio and NPR, and the the thing about NPR is I challenge anybody to listen for two hours of NPR in the in the course of any day, the middle of the day where their new shows are going on. I challenge you to get through an hour, let alone two hours of NPR without some thing being referenced to color to uh right. to to oppression and it's it's really it's like unrelenting and so and also they talk about gay people an awful awful lot right mm -hmm. so if a gay person right. puts out a book they have a much better chance of getting interviewed about that book if that sure. gay person also is black they've got a much better uh chance yet if sure. they also identify as cross-gender now that's a shoe-in they will get on npr with their book uh -huh. you know it, it absolutely there's just this craving for the 
the the different type of person. And I was listening to these. So my point I'm getting to, and I'm going to use one more example, but the point I'm getting to is that this causes people on the left who listen to NPR a lot, and it's more available around. I've I've driven around the country. It's more available than any of the AM talk radio shows, which sure. are very available. But you never are out of the signal path of NPR. You can always find it over there in the skinny part of the dial. And so, um, and, and so they, Pew and, and other people have done research studies like they, they ask people on the left um, how many uh, gay people, for instance, they think they're in the country. And they think it's something like 20 percent when really it's about 4 to 5% and sure. has been stably that forever mm-hmm. so and they so naturally they think racism that there is an army of white nationalists out there because they're mentioned so often they they're referenced so often and there there's this thing called the availability bias whatever you hear most recently is the thing that's front of mind and so if you hear something constantly referenced, you will believe it's uh, dangerous. This is, right. this is why the, the thing underneath, but I, the, the other quick story I wanted to tell you is they had, they had a show the other day on NPR, because I'm doing my research, I'm listening to NPR, right? Right. And, um, and I like the fact that they talk about the arts and they talk about science and things other than politics, which on AM, it's just politics. Right. Right. It's just politics all day long, unless you're on a, you know, unless you're on a sports channel or, or a religious channel. But, you know, if you're looking at that, uh, something like Salem Radio or whatever. But anyway, um, so they have these these they want to talk about um, they want to talk about so- recent science fiction writers. So they have these and, they, and within I go, oh, so they're going to talk about science fiction. How cool. And I listen, and within seconds, it turns out they're going to have Native American science fiction ah. writers. So, you know, I mean, all right. So now they have that, and they start talking, and these people sound like really great people. And But the, the NPR interviewer cannot resist saying, well, did you find that you had difficulty when you start, tried to get, when you tried to get published? And this one guy, who, somebody, Graham, uh, he said, "No, what I what the difficulty I have is going to publishers and they and getting them to understand that I'm a science fiction writer. They want me to write about downtrodden Indian causes, <laughs> and and he, he was right. saying right to the NPR interviewer that no, it's you people, it's you people who won't let me be." Uh, won't yeah. let my Afro, uh, my uh, American Indian status run in the background uh, and my who I am as a person, mm-hmm. my creative life, my professional life be in the foreground. Right. It's always them that push the thing into the into the foreground. And but we can't escape that reality. And so you you see that when this somewhere right now there is there are a lot of people who are thinking that that now they're they're re they're re um, attaching to the idea that black people are being hunted in America. Uh And every time one of these things happens, and especially when it's so overt like this one, people are going to read that as being really seriously dangerous now when they, when they go out. And I, you know, half the people in my town are black and I, you know, I, I, so I cannot go right. one day without, and already today I've interacted with three or four black people and I've barely left the mm-hmm. house. So, um, and I just think, God, it's just so, it's just so doubly tragic on all, uh, uh, on, on mm-hmm. all levels that on the one hand, we have a obviously maladjusted young man that he can find things online that 
make him feel like he, he has an opportunity to join a righteous cause and make him think in some way in his mind that if he goes in and kills some black people, he's doing something good. Uh-huh. In his mind, he just like the guys who drove the planes into the towers, in their minds, they thought they were doing something good and noble. Uh-huh. They were defending Allah, defending Islam. You know what I mean? Right. And so, so in a, in a sense, Chris, and I don't want to drag it in, into a First Amendment uh, uh, discussion, but in a way, both the First and the Second Amendment converged in that supermarket in um, uh, in Buffalo. Uh-huh. And these were the, the obviously these are two of the most important. When Madison sent them out to the states to get ratified, they were exactly. number one and two, freedom of why. expression, freedom, freedom of speech. And the, the right to bear arms, keep and bear arms. So uh-huh. we, these are obviously very important issues, but they're both right now in our culture up for some serious discussion. Like, you know, is there such a thing as free speech absolutism? Is there such a thing as right to bear arms absolutism? Now I'll kick it back over to you. I think there are people that come down in those camps. I don't think that's the, the vast majority of anybody. And that's one of the the, the uh, reasons that I'm grateful to have this conversation with you is because I don't put you in either one of those categories. Um, you know, I think that, I think a lot of people, we talk about, you know, we talk about what it is, what it is to be a citizen, what it is to be uh, an American, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and this conversation comes up a lot, especially with a lot of the illegal immigration and other issues that are going that are going on. Um, but you know, as a as a citizen, we have a certain civic duty. Um, and yes, I mean, we're born into these inalienable rights, being an American, but that does not that does not give us a pass on being responsible with those rights. Whether you're talking about the freedom of speech or you're talking about the right to bear arms, there's a certain responsibility that goes along with the utilization of those rights. For example, mm-hmm. um, let's, let's use the, the, the most popular first amendment is yelling fire in a theater. Well, I can yell a fire in a theater all day long. And if it doesn't create a panic and if nobody gets hurt, then I've nobody, nothing's going to get said. I can yell fire in a theater. If there is a fire, regardless of if somebody gets trampled or hurt because there was a fire. Sure. What I can't, what I can't, and I can yell and I can yell regardless. I can yell fire in a theater, right? Regardless, nothing is stopping me from doing that. But if I do it and there's no fire and babies get trampled or something like that, that's on me. I'm liable at that point. Right. I bear the responsibility to make sure of what I'm doing. Um, Works the same way, I think, when we're talking about freedom of speech. You have the right. You have the right to say what you want to say, but that does not absolve you from the repercussions of saying what you said. And what happens for the vast majority of people out there, I firmly believe this. It's not, and I don't want to sound like a woman here. It's just, just and that's sexist, I know, but it's not what you say; it's how you say it. Mm-hmm. So, if I come to Dave's grandmother's house and I beat on the door, and Dave's grandmother answers the door, and I call her every name in the book, and just demand that she gives me that apple pie recipe, you know, or I'm going to smack her in the face, you know, Dave's going to have a problem with that. 
Sure. However, if I walk up and I knock on Dave's grandmother's door and I introduce myself and I say, hey, everybody raves about your apple pie. I would really love to have that recipe and attempt to make that myself and carry on the tradition of that awesome pie. Would you have a problem with that, Dave? Likely no, of course not. not. Right. And so I think we get into some issues with that when we talk when we talk First Amendment. Um, and then when we get into the whole idea of the Second Amendment, um, I think again it goes back to to safe and responsible you know uh the same as it is with the first amendment it's just right you have to utilize them right and if you use that firearm to infringe on somebody else's liberty then you're in the wrong same way with speech right but the the problem with firearms is uh which we don't have necessarily with hurt feelings you know like for instance if i you know, I, I'm always skirting this issue around Los Angeles because I meet people that are uh, identify uh, somewhere on a spectrum, sexual <laughs> spectrum. Right. And so far, I've been lucky enough that the ones who are you know, like trans females, they're turning into females or whatever. They want to be called by she. So far, no one's asked me to call them they or something like that, where I know yeah, that that's a plural. I can't call a singular person a plural. I haven't run into that either. So, so I guess, um, yeah. you know, yeah. so far, so good. But I realize there are certain things that, that you don't say just because you don't want to hurt people's feelings. You know, like the, the other day I, I accidentally used the word cripple I, and I was on stage and I was and I was do, uh, doing a sound check. And I and I used the word cripple and we were in an outdoor environment. There was houses nearby. And I realized, oh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously referring to crippling my ability to do something with, with, right. with the thing. That's what I was referring to as using it. Now, this is going to cripple my ability here. But I thought I don't use, need to use the word cripple because it might hurt somebody's feelings. Right. But even if I did hurt somebody's feelings, there was a handicapped person and they they heard the word cripple and thought I was referring to crippled people in an in a outmoded sort of way. They might have their feelings hurt. Right. But with gunplay uh, or, you know, or incitement to violence that might involve guns, you don't you might later face up to your responsibility or be held accountable you, you, for your uh, for the your violation socially or whatever. But that person's still dead. And you can't bring that back. So you, we, you, you know, you and I are both on the same page. People do have to feel a social responsibility. And I think what our best bar against censorship is self-censorship. Self-governance. Yes. Right. And, and so, and the best, Uh uh, and the best guard against tyranny is to, is working self-governance. If we are good, if we are good people, there's not going to be these sort of excuses come up where people can take away this right or that right or that right. Right. And and we've just developed the kind of um, combative nature uh, among in this country uh, that people will say, screw that. I'm not I'm going to do exactly what I want to do. <laughs> right. And whoever's in right. power might very well then nick off a little a little bit of that person's right to do whatever they want to do right rather yeah. than leaving that right intact knowing that you can push it sometimes but not wanting to push it and when you look back at the writings of the people who founded this country these were educated people who were wise and insightful in spite of their relative youth and um i don't know if we can it's it's a hard thing to say okay. the rights are inviolable when you know for sure that a lot of the people who are going to take advantage of those rights don't deserve them. 
you know, those individuals don't deserve them. Right. Uh, like, uh, you know, so it's a, it's a difficult thing. And we were, we've been talking about this free speech absolutism since, since Elon Musk's temp- right. attempt to take over, a, which right. I think is a really bad idea. I think that geniuses like him should be building good stuff. Right. And not yeah. getting dragged into political disputes about it, where where then suddenly their product becomes hated by half of the country because he didn't properly criticize Donald Trump or something like that. You know, that oh. comes up. We 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 to we need to not get this div- divisive politics into every bit of our lives. Mm-hmm. But but there are. I think there's never been absolute free speech because uh, there there are there are some amendments to to that amendment. There are some things that have come out of the Supreme Court, for instance, the incitement to violence. You can't mm-hmm. you sure. can't do that. And there have always been slander laws. And in fact, Donald Trump, while he was on the campaign trail, often brought up that he wanted to make libel laws uh, and slander laws more uh more intense that he wanted to have them easier for people to get to so he was certainly not a free speech absolutist because he didn't want people to be able to badmouth him yeah you know uh, no friend of the second amendment either by the way for really really i said uh yeah we got uh the we got the arbitrary bureaucratic ban on bump stocks under him so a complete overreach of bureaucratic power um did not was not done by legislative efforts um I mean, not that I wouldn't have a problem with it, even if it was, but, you know, we're talking about defining something as a machine gun that is so explicitly not a machine gun, (laughs) you know, it's a piece of plastic. And it's like, well, if you use that piece of plastic this way, and it's like, yeah, but, you know, your machine gun is a very specific from uh, back in the day, I mean, a very specific definition of what a machine gun is, right? And so when we start arbitrarily redefining things, and and don't get me wrong, politicians and and honestly, those that that want more control um, have done that for years, right? Whether they've done it through the social change of what words mean, uh, or you know, whatever. I mean, the AR-15. Take that for example. One of the most popular things that they say is that stands for assault rifle. Well, anybody that spends less than 10 minutes looking into the history of that rifle knows that it stands for the armor light rifle model 15 it has nothing to do with exactly. assault rifle or anything else um then we want to start talking about well the whole bump stock thing we got into a conversation about rate of fire we thought well a machine gun at a certain rate of fire it becomes a machine gun well here's the thing there are people that can pull a trigger really 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 fast so for those people that can pull a standard trigger really, really, really fast without a bump stock and make it seem as though it's almost a machine gun, what do you do for those people? Where they, where they, can, they can empty people? the magazine on a Glock, for instance, in uh, a second. Yeah. Two seconds. I mean, that, maybe two seconds. Very, I mean, very quickly. Fast. Yeah. Yeah, fast. fast. And we've had that for many years, right? In the old cowboy days, we had fast draw competition. You had right, where they you know, fend the. Yeah, you've had people that have had those skills for many years. So, um, you know, you again, you get into the arbitrary, I think, nature of a lot of things, and and more importantly, and what a lot of people don't see with this, they come down on the two A side, either the pro gun side or the anti gun side, and they mm-hmm. don't see it's a bureaucratic overreach. It's a perversion of you know, the constitution and everything else for them to do it in which the way they did it. And let's be honest, when they do things like that, it's normally because they can't get it done 
through legislative means. They know it, they can't do it, or they know that it may not hold up because time will tell as far as the bump stock thing. Um, it's not going to hold up to the scrutiny of the court, right? Uh, let and me just so, catch. Let me just catch you as you go by on on a thing. I wanted to make sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. That, that so you're in a sense saying that aside from your annoyance at the bump stocks being gone away, that wasn't your primary concern. Your primary concern was playing fast and loose with constitutional process. Yes, exactly. Because the bump stocks, my personal opinion on a bump stock is I don't like them. They're they're dumb. They're stupid. It's a waste of ammo shooting things that fast. I've never owned one. I have played with them, but I've never owned one. So it hasn't, for me, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the, uh, and, and I'm not for a ban on them. I wasn't for a ban on them. Uh, because I don't believe they're a machine gun. But for me, the stick in my crawl, if you will, was the way in which it was done, uh, I believe, was bureaucratic overreach, which is done quite often in our government, yeah. unfortunately. Well, in the last few years when we've had some of these shootings uh, and and then we, we get annoyed by uh, politicians on the left and um, and certain media figures where they start talking about machine guns, uh, blessedly, they've stopped making that mistake quite as often, and they talk about semi-automatic uh, guns. But I mean, right. um, but it it drives me crazy when you look at the the gun statistics, and you find out that the vast vast majority of gun deaths happen with handguns. And it's, I thought you and, were going somewhere else with it, which hopefully we'll get there. But go ahead. Uh, our, our handguns. <laughs> right. You know. Right. Um, and they happen. Most of them happen in the inner cities. And they are uh, yes. they are black people killing black people or white people killing white people or this this type of person killing people who are uh, they're having some uh, dispute over it's dis- turf. You don't want to say gang related, but it's definitely dispute related. I would yeah. Say. And sometimes it's turf or, or just, you know, whatever it is. And they go by and, you know, shoot at each other and whatever. Um, but it, it is a lot more difficult to, it, you know, and I, I think those things that they call assault rifles are um, listed in the FBI statistics under rifles. Right. And so right. they are a small portion of a really small portion of right. all firearm uh, killings. Because uh, it's, it's like this much for fire, you know, for rifles. And it's down to this for those types of rifles. But but I think it still it it bears discussion because they are overrepresented, those guns in these mass killings. Mm-hmm. And I think that the thing we need to be focusing on is how have we acculturated young people into thinking that gun violence is so, somehow heroic? And the answer to that is largely Hollywood movies. Could and be. and I mean, you know, who who would be more known to be a left wing guy than Sean Penn, for instance? <laughs> right. You know, he went down and visited Hugo Chavez, for God's sake. He's everybody knows him as a left wing guy. And, you know, so along with that goes, you know, the skepticism about guns. Yet a few years ago, he made a, a movie called The Gunman. Mm-hmm. And in it, he was a gunman. Right. And uh, uh, an assassin. They didn't even attempt to to give him the nobility that normally they do by showing a guy with his family, and then his family is snatched from him by the bad guys, and then he straps up and gets all ready to go because it turns out he has a history being a special forces guy. And now the rest of the movie for the following forty five minutes, it's carnage. We have so many of those movies, but in this movie, they didn't even bother to make him a nice guy. 
he just went, you know, he ended up, somebody provoked him in, in some way, and he ended up going into this big fancy house where he then, he killed so many people, I was trying to, ca- I was trying to count. So I was trying to, I'm going to do a video on this. Right. And I could not keep track. It was somewhere in the, in the neighborhood of 100 people because the bad guys always seem to have standing armies that they just go like this and they come sure. at the hero. So we have very deeply acculturated this idea of righteous revenge featuring firearms. And so it's, I'm sure it's always been there in, in, in all yes. literature, but mm-hmm. it, but Hollywood has really shown it and they've shown these particular guns. So if you want to look a certain way, like say you're emulating Rambo, right? You, and, and so you want to go Rambo on all those people at school who've been doing you wrong and you hate them and they ignore you, whatever your obsession has caused you to get to the place where you're about to take righteous revenge on all those who have done you deeply wrong. Right. You're attracted to the guns that you see in Hollywood movies because that's your what you're you know, just like when when I don't know how old you are. I'm 66. And when I was a kid, I wanted guns that had that had like a uh, uh, the plastic handle, you know, looked like um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. like horn, whatever that that oh, is, yeah. you know, like the white kind of yeah. white or whatever it was. Sure. I wanted sure. those because I'd seen somebody doing it in, in westerns. So I was emulating exactly. the westerns I saw, or I wouldn't have been sure. even thinking about guns. Sure. And um, and so. I, I always was packing when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. They were plastic. Well, they were they were metal <laughs> right. guns. They shot sure. these little caps that on rolls, and you'd yep. fire them off, and I'd fan them, and I, you know, I was always wearing a cowboy hat. And um, so even when I didn't have pants on, I was wearing a cowboy hat. <laughs> right. As right. As unfortunately was recorded in a family photo, which I've been <laughs> forced to never live down. But um, <laughs> but uh, I was emulating the heroes that I saw. Uh-huh. You know, sure. just as I'm sure that go back uh, uh, a couple of three or four hundred years ago and people were playing with wooden swords and they were emulating what sure. they'd b- been read about in Beowulf or, or whatever, you know, King Arthur right. or whatever. So right. how how do we deal with that when when the culture is so out of control and it is so irresponsible in some ways we have to I, I, you know my approach is i mean we have to we first of all we have to be able to have the conversations like we we're having here today mm-hmm. um and then second of all we have to be open-minded or at least open-eared i, I don't want to get down the road of open-minded too much but at least willing to listen to because that implies that you're closed-minded people. otherwise right right yeah um so and if nothing else even if you're listening to someone who's vehemently against everything you believe at the very least how can you counter that without knowing where they're coming from or their strategy right it's a knowing your enemy type situation right. i guess um so there's value in that regardless and a lot of people are afraid we we retreat to our own corners to our own echo chambers whatever it might be um you know I don't know. I mean, preaching the whole education standpoint. I mean, we've had a, a big, we've had a massive breakdown of, of education in, in the way of firearms. Uh, we've had a massive breakdown in debunking a lot of myths and things that are out there. Um, people are not aware. I mean, we break multiple laws, regulations, statutes, whatever, 
every single day of the week as the average citizen does. Um, sure. Firearm related laws are no different. There are so many already on the books. Murder is obviously illegal, right? There's there's yeah. carrying in a gun free zone is already illegal. There's all these things that are already illegal. And what what boggles my mind is that well, more laws will help, more laws will help. Well, if a hundred some odd years of anti-gun legislation hasn't helped, we've we've only, as you said, it seems like it's ramped up, if anything then the answer can't be that it's got to be somewhere else. So is that in the education, but, Oh, don't, you know, don't think about that aspect. And there are some States, there are some organizations, kids safe foundation is out there. And yeah, I'm going to name drop uh, some more for, for your listeners. I think some of these different organizations that are around, uh, which are out there teaching kids, you know, the safe and responsible use of firearms more in a, uh, familiarization in a competition style setting. You got 4-H shooting sports, which I was a big part of uh, doing the same thing. I think that some of these organizations are doing great work to kind of curb that tide. And honestly, I see a lot of potential in some of the newer generations uh, coming up because of it. Um, I think that one thing, when you were talking about handguns and you were talking about the rifles and then the so-called assault rifles, you know, being even a smaller portion of a smaller portion of a smaller percentage of what's actually going on. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, if it bleeds, it leads. So this tiniest sure. little thing in this country, regardless of what topic we're talking about, the most insignificant things can be the most sensational and they're going to blow it up like it's just the end of the world and it doesn't matter what it's going to be and we if we know anything we know the media is going to be that way that's first of all um but more to your point where i thought you were going to that and i don't know if you know this is is uh is the case or not but two-thirds of death by firearm is suicide yes do you hear anybody talk about that do you hear anybody and that's a rhetorical question. I'll let you address it. But I do because the Second Amendment firearm related community has multiple organizations that are proactively trying to um, make an impact in that area. If we can bring down two thirds of all firearms death, then is it really that big of an issue? Because we've solved the vast majority of the problems, right? Well, yes. And I, I think that... Um people who are very dead set uh, uh, against gun ownership, which I'm not. I have a handgun in the house here. Um, but I think people would say, well, that's just all the more reason you want we you shouldn't have a gun in the house because those people would have probably done something else. And, you know, if you if you if you swallow a handful of pills and then you change your mind, you can, you know, you can uh, you can induce vomiting or you can quit call 911. Right. But if you do this, you can't change your mind. Yes. So there's something that, that is frighteningly permanent about these, uh, the tearing of a bullet through a skull. Mm -hmm. You know, there's just, there's no coming back from that. And I, I have a personal thing with this. I, I dated a woman some years ago, about, you know, less than a decade ago. And, um, we got together and she had recently broken up with with a, her husband and moved uh, her family, her daughters, you know, down here to Los Angeles from another place. And her husband went through some depression and, uh, you know, pe she was trying to keep in touch and, you know, talking to neighbors and making sure that people were stopping and, and, and checking on him and stuff because everybody thought he was, you know, he was, they were worried about him. Well, he ended up standing on a chair, throwing a, a rope over a, a beam, an open beam in their house, 
and uh, tying it off like a noose and then blowing his head off and then shooting himself in the head. So he both shot himself and hanged himself. Now, this was not somebody who was attempting suicide. This was a guy who wasn't looking for a back. He wasn't looking to, to go back. But uh, the the hanging would have done it. But uh-huh. the but the blowing the the uh, you know shooting yourself in the head. There's something. It's it's messy. I mean, there was. I was at that house later in uh, in uh, my history with this woman, and uh-huh. you know there was stains in the floor and that sort of thing. It's it's there's there's something that's that's violent and bloody about guns that in that you don't see in other sorts of suicides so uh-huh. even so you know i agree with you that, that that the problem when you're talking about that number of suicides the problem is suicidal ideation right not the not the method of suicide right but, even though even though and and th- these organizations that i'm talking about walk to talk america hold my guns org all these other ones um you know they do not shy away and i don't either of Admitting what you just said, which a if you're if you're going to commit suicide, a firearm is a pretty darn effective, quick, not coming back from it way of getting right. that job done. And so, if we're going to advocate to you know for suicide prevention, particularly by firearm, we have to admit that. But I, I'll I'll let you finish. No, no, I, I I'm I'm waiting for you. Um, but yeah, I had, I had a friend in, um, I want to say it was in high school that, you know, suicide by firearm. Uh, I had, when I was also in high school, I was a teenager, had a first cousin suicide by firearm. I know many people that have, that have done it. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's near and dear to my heart, especially when you see two thirds of those numbers, because I think we can all agree that, you know, even if you're talking about the most vehement, vehement anti-gunner. Now, there are people that are head of anti-gun organizations. There are, you know, politicians right. that that may have nefarious reasons. I'm talking about the genuine person that is concerned and maybe against firearm ownership and all this other stuff. You know, I think that one thing pretty much everybody has in common in that middle 80 percent is we don't want to see pain and suffering and loss of life at any at any cost. Right. Um and so that's what I'm saying. For me, let's let's look at that and address what you're talking about. Let's dr- address the suicide culture, the suicide issue. Let's make sure that that people are aware. First of all, let's relieve the stigma from mental health. Mental health affects us all in various ways, and it doesn't mean you need to be locked up in an asylum just because you're suffering from some type of a mental health issue. But you need to be able to be aware. Uh, when that's going on, you need to be uh, cognizant, I think. And this is where the social implications of kind of what we talked about earlier with knowing your neighbors, with talking with people, with socially interacting, you know, um, your neighbors, I'm sure if your neighbor's having a bad day, you know it. You can tell from meeting them at the mailbox or whatever the case may be that something's off with Bob, right? Um, And figuring out ways and these organizations I was talking about earlier, and there's also from Mental Health America and a lot of other sources, um, have got good material on helping you to talk with people that you think might be having a problem. And so I think it, it just comes like everything. It's awareness. And if we can bring down those roughly 60 some odd thousand deaths a year, uh, at least make a dent in it. And you know, Chris, uh, what you were just, good. 
what you were just talking about is getting rid of the stigma attached to mental health and thinking about it as, hey, you know, you, there's no stigma attached to suddenly having sciatica down one leg. <laughs> right. You know what I right. mean? Oh, yeah. he, this guy's got bad nerves. Right. You know, the, the brain is an organ of the body and it sometimes doesn't function up to par. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, if so, this also applies to people who are thinking about murdering, not just suicide. This is true. So, you know, they need to also not feel stigma, you know, to to the the piece. I wrote a piece yesterday about this and it's came out also out of that live stream I did where I kind of asked the audience, how stable do you feel? And then I talked about, well, what if this happens? What if this happens? What now? How stable do you feel? And and so, you know, I have been I've got a long time now on this planet i'm a fairly complicated person i'm also attracted to other i've been attracted to women who are fairly complicated i've right. i've gotten involved aren't, in they, a lot aren't of, they all i thought, yeah. that they, thought they were all. Yeah. okay but uh i've so i've been in a just one situation really where i, I had i'd gone through a breakup of my marriage and so i i i hadn't i didn't realize it at the time but looking back i understand it that I had grown to know myself as two different things. Hun, that's who I was to my wife, and daddy, who I was to my kids. And then I went to my job every day, right? I went and did my job. I painted houses. And so that, I, I knew what I did for a living. I knew who I was at home. And then on, on, in other moments, I put a strap a guitar on and I go get, be that guy for a few hours. And then I come back and I was Hun and daddy. Right. So I was very grounded in that reality. And suddenly my wife decided she didn't want to be married anymore. And so and she was my ex-wife, God bless her, great person in so many ways. But God gave her no reverse gear when she decides (laughs) she's going to do something. She's simply going to do it. Get out of the way. And so she decided that she was the the divorce was going to happen and it happened. And so now I find myself all alone in like, a you know, a little apartment and I don't know who the hell I am. So then I fall in love with this other woman. I didn't know at the time that I was on the rebound. So of course I over attached to her. And of sure. course that sure. spooked her just a little bit. You know what I mean? Yes. I, I maybe took the, the, Oh, now this is re- the relationship forever. Right. And at the time I didn't see that behavior in myself because I didn't realize I was vulnerable. I didn't realize that I was unmoored. Uh, that I, I kind of broken loose from what what kept me stable, and then she drifted away, and I couldn't stop that ha- from happening. And now I went into a nosedive. It wasn't really the the marriage breaking up itself; it was the cumulative effect of that. And then a few months later, getting into what I thought was my savior relationship, and then it going belly up, and um, and I really got I spent about eighteen months in a really seriously messed up place where I, I and fortunately I had a lot of friends I could talk to I you know dug, I dug into my music quite a bit I had my work to go to but I wasn't fooling anybody during that period of time nobody thought I was particularly stable uh-huh. and I now I, I am stable again I got stable again but I but I understand that even a person who is usually pretty damn stable things can conspire uh-huh. to shake that person loose from all those things that that to which he is moored and fastened that creates that unrocking stability uh-huh. you can lose all those things so it's not just that you 
are concerned about being able to defend against another person who goes crazy and starts shooting up the, the supermarket. I would take it one philosophical um, point further that each of us should be afraid for our own possibly mm-hmm. losing everything, things going wrong, feeling that we, that we need to get even and becoming that person. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, I think that few people would go that far. Right. But it's such a complicated society now, Chris. It's so difficult to find out where exactly we are attached. Yes. And because things keep shifting, people keep changing and moving to different parts of the country. It, it used to be that we lived all in villages and small areas where we knew everybody and we, we selected a wife or a husband from that small number of people. And, and we weren't constantly being bombarded with images that made us think, oh, I chose somebody. I, I, I shot too low on this. Uh, I, I could have done better. Right. You know. And you would grow old and you would die and you would have taught your trade to your son or your sons and you would have married your daughter off properly to somebody into a family that you admired. And the stress level, you'd go to bed at dark and fall asleep. Now people lay in bed at night wondering how how the hell, you know, what have I done? How, how am I going to proceed? It's such a fast moving society right? That that I think, and I think that, People always think others are who they are. So I think the people who are the fastest moving, who would be the progressives, where they are hungry for new things, they are the ones who probably are laying awake feeling this sense of panic. Like, mm-hmm. how do I, do I keep up with this crazy fast world? And they're probably attributing a lot of that then to others. They probably think there are more people on the, right on the brink than there really are. Right. Yeah. Because certainly there are some, and it's understandable in this kind of the kind of changes that our society has gone through. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people out there are too. They're just too busy with life and things that are going on to you know to to be on the brink. I mean, uh, you know, little you know Susie's ballet, little Johnny's soccer practice, and you know working two jobs to try to pay whatever gas is now per gallon and you know everything else that uh, a lot of people just aren't you know it's like i talked about the awareness of the you know the gun laws that are already on the books the awareness of the statistics and one thing we never even got into is you know the potential defensive uses of firearms how much higher could the number be when you if you talked about snapping your fingers and uh and getting rid of stuff you know how much higher could that that number actually be? And it's it's tough to measure a crime that doesn't happen, right? Um, so those range anywhere from a half million uses a year to I've seen numbers up as high as two million. Um, but even if we take the lower number, I mean, sixty thousand total, including suicide, you know, versus potentially five hundred thousand. That's you're, a, you're that's talking a major about shift. when somebody successfully defends themselves against a crime with a firearm. With, that with doesn't firearm. mean they had to use it, though. Right, right. Just the Just like we brandishing about, it the often does the job. Deterrent, brandishing, whatever it might be. Yeah, exactly. Of course, um, we also have to always be honest as men to know that there are some people who make up stories. You know, <laughs> right. That's <laughs> so, why I so say some those people may say that, that yeah. they. 
yeah, yeah. I just ran a guy off with my gun. Maybe you did. Right. It, you, you, yeah. it, in the same way, you can't count everyone because some people will never mention it to anybody. Yeah. There are some people who mention it and it's not really 100% factual. So right. these are the, the self And very rarely things. is there a police report or anything that, that goes along with it. And that's why I said I see numbers, right. you know, just being honest, I see numbers anywhere from half a million to upwards of two million, you know. And, you know, I always fall back on going with a lower number. That could even be even be high. But I think there is a number there. You feel what I'm saying? I mean, it's it's uh, yeah, it's fascinating. So I think there's not. You're of the opinion that um, it, that a well-trained person who understands the use of firearms and and uh, and uh, under and has protocols in his or her own mind that mm-hmm. cause them not to misjudge a situation and go to the gun too quickly. Right. You feel that it's a viable so uh, a, that to carry a gun. The, the reason you would be wanting to carry a gun would be for self-protection, right? So, I'm, so yeah, I'm not... Or for the protection of others in potential situations. I'm, I'm not a Marvel superhero. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't carry a firearm for the protection of some random person in the Walmart store. Um, so, and, and I got into a conversation with this somebody the other night. If I'm at the back, let's say the automotive center of Walmart, there's usually a door that leaves going outside. If I'm back there... And I hear pop, 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 right? And obviously I know what gunfire sounds like. I'm out the door. I'm not running to the front of the store to engage. That's, that's not that's not my job, right? Okay. Um, my firearm is for my protection or my immediate family or friends that might be with me, right? Now, if I'm at the checkout in the front of the store and maybe we're going to out to the lake or we're doing whatever it might be, and, you know, it's myself, my wife, my grandbabies, my friend and his wife, um, then that firearm is for the protection of us. And if somebody walks into the front of the store, you know, at that point, I'm in immediate danger and it would be time to read that situation and respond. But again, it, it goes into playing these scenarios. And this is, I think, where uh, some some people that are not firearm owners get the misunderstanding that that firearm owners don't play through these scenarios, that they don't practice and train now i don't agree that training should be a requirement because training is a very specific specialized thing um a lot of the tactical trainings that are out there where you know it's more of a clearing a room with a four-man team and it's like where's that application in my life right if i'm ever faced with a situation it's probably going to be while i'm in a restaurant eating or maybe i'm in a as you said a convenience store or some type of a setting like that right Mm -hmm. Um, and tactics and maneuvers and all of this other stuff is not going to come in play. I need to be able to, again, it gets back to situational awareness. As long as I've, I'm practiced in situational awareness, you know, I identify that that is a threat. I feel that my life is in danger. That's a huge deal because you right. don't draw otherwise. Um, and then you draw. My opinion is once you draw, you're ready to pull the trigger. Don't, don't ever draw. If you draw and you hesitate, that's horrible. That's bad. Um, if you're able to draw and then hesitate, odds are you could have de-escalated. We talked about that earlier. Odds are you probably could have de-escalated that situation if you have that time to draw and then be hesitant and then have to fire. Yeah. Um, well, we. I, I'm very, very skeptical of guns as protection devices when I think of all the other options that we have. Like sure. I, you know, I myself... 
I almost never lock my door. Right. You know, I lock it when I leave because I I just feel so comfortable where I am. I mean, I sometimes mm-hmm. lock it, but I but I don't do it in any sort of fearful way. Right. Um, and around my and around my neighborhood, I intentionally don't lock my van when I'm in the neighborhood unless I have a guitar or some other. Sure. Uh, you know, Valuable. gear in there yeah. that I can't afford to replace right at the t- the moment and wouldn't want to. Uh, if I've got gear in the in the van, I will. But uh, otherwise, I don't. And I do that as a way of uh, almost putting it out there to the universe or whatever that you're almost like making kind of a mental I, statement that that yeah. these people are not uh, uh, against me. These people are with me. They're my neighbors. These are my neighbors here. And right. um, and I find that so I, I'm a little suspect that if just knowing human nature as I do, that when you get very, very enthusiastic about something, mm-hmm. um, and, and I'm, I'm going to carry this a, 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 maybe a little past where you want to contradict me on it, but just let me go with it. Yeah. If you, if you want to, um, when you get very, very enthusiastic, there is sort of an idea that at some point you're, you're start like if you look at through your your collection and it's all um, duck hunting rifles, eventually you're going to go want to shoot a duck because you're thinking about ducks. You're collecting uh, your you, those duck decoys. You're into you know how to make duck calls. You you know so you you're reading duck hunting magazines. You're you're going to feel like at some point I got to blast a duck out of the sky or I'm just a jerk off. You know, I got to go do this. I got to make this work like that guitar over there. At some point, I need to go out there and play it. You know, it's it's it becomes something that because I know about it, I know how to play it. I know how to work it. So it is. So that's good, though. It drives me toward it. And if and if you go shoot a duck, well, bad day for the duck, but not bad day for anybody else. But I've seen this shifting over uh, um, from the time of my father and his friends and his fathers from uh, things that were very clearly target rifles if they were going my dad called plinking we're gonna let's go out to the desert and go plinking kids and we go out there and we and we would shoot target rifles with 22s because it was about accuracy and skill and the mastery that comes with that and the application of your hand-eye coordination and whatnot sure. so if you're doing that or or the guns that were in grandpa's closet were a shoot a shotgun for shooting a duck or they were a deer rifle for shooting a deer. They were not guns that were designed specifically for the killing of humans. And when they, when you did go to the target range in those days, you shot at bullseyes, and now you shoot at outlines of human beings. Mm-hmm. So there is, there is a difference now. Uh, back then, you hardly ever saw gun violence shown on television or, or the movies where you saw chunks of brain flying out and big right yeah it wasn't red mist around the gra- you didn't see the graphic stuff somebody would shoot somebody and they'd fall over and there'd be no blood puddle anything like that so when the, the world that we grew up in uh it was more of an abstraction and it wasn't so viscerally somehow attractive mm-hmm. you know and now kids spend a lot of time between b- behind these first person shooter video games where they are taking the viewpoint of the shooter it's not third person where it's happening out here and they're having one character shoot the other they are behind the eyes of the killer mm-hmm. so and things are handguns are not designed for duck hunting or deer hunting or 
target shooting. They are designed for shooting people. And the only reason you want to get really good at shooting people with a handgun would be so that you can more effectively shoot a person if, the, if it comes up. So do you see how there's been a shift in society that I think troubles a lot of, a lot of people, and it troubles me somewhat. But yeah. having said that, I want to cap it off by saying that we have seen, so what, what works against my assertion, uh-huh. the, 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 so my assertion would be, so doesn't a guy who has people killing things also have a hunger to go shoot a person? That would be the assumption I'm leading up to. Now, I want to counter my own assumption with the simple <laughs> fact that, uh, that no NRA members have ever been involved in, in a mass shooting. No people who have been part of a real gun community like the one you're part of. Can we name a single one who have gone into a Walmart and shot anybody? No. And I mean, let's, let's, let's be honest that when you're talking about millions and millions of people, which is what you're talking about, mm-hmm. is there one here and there that maybe domestic violence or there's some, something somewhere just making that caveat that, you right. know, the, the, by the numbers and the odds, there may very well be, is there anybody that I know of and, and would, would them, would those people had that happened been made the poster child for the anti second amendment agenda and be on every news channel? I think the answer to that would be yes. Correct. Absolutely. If, if, if anybody like you was to do it, they would say, look, this guy advocates for right. guns. Oh, he had a YouTube he, channel and you he, know, yeah. he would, yeah. you would be front page. See, it's those enthusiasts that we have to worry about. Right. And right. the fact that there haven't been any like that proves that there so, actually haven't been any. So you did a good job contradicting yourself. So thank so Yeah, that sucks. That. I'm uh, cursed with this ability to see from both sides. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, to part of your point, I mean, you you sort of made mention on the live stream that that uh, what kind of brought this conversation on uh, when you were talking about a mass, you know, people that amass an arsenal. So that's kind of down the road that you were talking about here. And I would say that for the person that first of all, firearms, you know, were they originally built for war when you're talking about the fire sticks that the ancient Asians, Chinese peoples, whatever used back in the day. Yes. I mean, they were tools of war from the very first time somebody took gunpowder and did something. Now, historically, has all that been used for feeding a family, for the hunting, for shooting sports has been around a very, very long time. Um, Whether that's with a bow and arrow or that's, you know, Indian tribes would have competitions with with bows. So competition has been an actual thing, which would be target shooting, as you as you talked about. So there's all kinds of things that it's it's morphed into Uh, the Olympic Games that we celebrate, you know, every few years. That's all predicated on things that you did uh, except for curling i don't think the ancient uh war fighters ever curled but but maybe but, but throwing uh, a javelin throwing right, a discus, all of that those was war military tools. military style stuff right, right that turned into um sport a quick um, aside the weirdest the weirdest olympic event is the one where you cross-country ski and then you stop and you target shoot <laughs> right, right. I forget what that's so, called. The uh, the by the biathlon, the biathlon, which is yeah. awesome. Yeah, the by and the rifles for the biathlon are, are awesome too, which are primarily twenty two rifles. You'd think they'd be big, crazy rifles, and they're not. Um, but anyway, back to what I was saying. So I think education. Again, it comes back to the whole education thing. I think and making people aware that 
just of the history of firearms, like I can amass a huge collection and it's because I love the beauty. I love the design. I love the mechanics. I love, I love all these aspects. I love the, the collectability. I love the investment aspect. And at the end of the day, I could take those collector pieces or whatever they might be. I can take a firearm that's 100, 120, 150 years old out to my range and just the, the joy of being able to fire a, a firearm all out on the range that who knows what somebody did with it a hundred years ago or 120 years ago. Um, so when you start thinking about that, you think about all of the military rifles after world war one, after world war two, that come back in the country, those are straight up military rifles, right? Yeah. Um, and nobody's complaining about the bolt action Lee Enfield or the bow action bows and the gun or the bolt action right. 1903. Even though when you talk about the guy that climbed the bell tower many years ago here in Houston was using a deer rifle to pick people off back in the day. Right. He was. So they're very capable. They, they can, you know, you're talking about, you know, yes, that tool is, can create havoc. Oh, and I'd then, rather be shot with a Glock than with a 30 out six. Probably. probably. You know? And with, you know, in, <laughs> You know, when you're talking about anything, I mean, with, you know, a sword, a knife, a, you know, any type of combined explosives, a vehicle, whatever it may be, in the wrong hands and somebody in a bad mental state and willing to do harm and all of that good stuff, it really doesn't, the tool starts to become more irrelevant. But I think the history on that is really important. And then when you get up into some of the modern stuff, um, nothing on the civilian market Except for maybe shotguns, which is an interesting thing because you're talking about duck hunting and you're talking about some of this other stuff. So military, all these are military-grade weapons. Well, the AR-15, the military doesn't use anything in those variants. They're select fire, you know, at best, you know, three-shot burst, if not full auto, and all of that good kind of stuff. Civilians don't um, don't readily have access to full auto stuff right, uh, right for those that might not be aware that was all banned back in 1986 and anything produced after 86 you can't own and finding anything at any kind of price less than six figures even it gets really difficult uh so very expensive and cost prohibited if you wanted to and a licensing process and everything else sure. that goes into that um so i take that and put that off on a shelf but when they want to talk about the ar-15 and military grade weapons it's like there's no military force that's using that um, however, some of the shotguns, which is you talk about used for duck hunting or whatever, and people think are, are harmless, right? There are door kickers in the military that utilize essentially the same exact shotgun, except for maybe barrel length or something along those lines that a right. duck hunter might use, right? Sure. So cops, cops carry them. You're right. I've actually yeah. got one that's a retired police uh, police shotgun, a little Mossberg, a beautiful, beautiful shotgun right. because the cops used it and it wasn't shot very much <laughs> around yeah, here. Around I mean, here so. if, if you have to absolutely stop somebody running toward you, you know, uh, throwing out a, a pattern as big as a pie plate is probably a better uh, a better way to do that than to hope you can hit a, a person who's running toward you with arms flailing, you know. Right. Um, but seldom uh, we seldom hear about police using those, do we? It's funny. Very, very rarely. Do, messy. Uh, do you see that? <laughs> yes, I, I would. I would figure it, it was. And most of them. You so know, let the, me ask you the question about uh, about Arsenal. Yeah. Not yeah. to cut you off. Yeah. But. No, go um, ahead. So is and I think that this there's this really ties in to guitar for me because I watch guitar channels and you were saying you've you got a gun channel. You talk about I play, guns. I, I play guitar, right? by the way. Right. Cool. Yeah. 
Well, then you've been around guys, and they talk about gear. They're gearheads. Oh, yeah. And they just yeah. gear, 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 gear. And they yeah. end up with so many guitars. And, uh-huh. you know, you the the old argument on – this is more like not a political argument so much as something you'll hear a liberal say at a cocktail party. It's like, but why do they need so much gun, so many guns? And so – and I've heard wives of musicians ask me that same question. Why does he need 19 guitars? I don't, I, I don't get it. And, and it, of course, we live in a country where it's not a question of, of do, I, do I only get to own the amount of things that I need? You know right, I mean? you, right. You, you pretty right. clearly go into the, well, I don't, I don't need to justify the ownership to you. Mm-hmm. But, but, we, but it's, it, again, it, it gets a little bit, different with firearms because there is is there any in your view is there any place where you think that that it starts like if you had a friend and they were getting guns and amassing guns would Mm -hmm. would there be a place where you started thinking something's up with this guy i think i might fall into that i might fall into that category for a lot of people and i'm not going to disclose how many i own but i certainly that's why that when you said that on that live stream it kind of stuck in my head a little bit i thought when you're talking about a lifelong firearm owner that's 46 47 years old and sometimes Mm -hmm. would buy you know 12 in a weekend (laughs) um you know, it's like, and my thing is, whether we're talking suicide, whether we're talking about, you know, a mass murder event, um, that person's not going to drag a hundred firearms and thousands of rounds of ammunition. They're going to take what few, two or three, maybe, and right. several hundred rounds or something that they need. So I don't see any correlation between the amassing of a bunch of stuff well, that's a good um, that's a good point you're almost you're almost indicating that there is a, a counter correlation that a, a person that would want that many guns is obviously interested in them for some reason other than getting ready to do a crime they want to keep those <laughs> and and doing yeah. illegal things i don't get to keep those right in the same way so, that the guys like joe like joe right. bonamassa the guitar player who is famously owns 200 collectible guitars or whatever and he mm-hmm. has a whole warehouse full of them it, I, I mentioned this to a to a liberal friend the other night about uh, about the gun arsenal right thing because I had just mm-hmm. done the live podcast, and um, and she said, and and what about all the things that their kids aren't getting because dad keeps spending five six seven eight hundred dollars on a gun, so that's a different issue. How many but, parents smoke? How many parents have four wheel drives and other things, and kids aren't getting things right? So. I right. get that. I get that argument, but that applies to multiple things across the board. Right. And, just and she, it was funny because she went to something you know. that had nothing to do with people getting shot. Yeah, she was right. just she was right. just concerned that there wasn't right. that, that, about the resources right. and uh, the allocation of resources. And I've always been a little bit that way about anybody who does any uh, hobby where you you know you got a buddy with a six car garage and a bunch of old cars and a bunch of old motorcycles right. it's like dude yeah. you have got an awful lot of stuff invested in this that that you know is is the the wife getting her share of, of, of the money <laughs> right right <laughs> um and i think i think most of the people at least that get into whatever it might be from a collector sense and whatever long term um yeah, I mean, I think they're doing it responsibly. They're not, you know, skipping out on rent and doing other things uh, to do that. I, I know I never have. I was in business for, uh, good Lord, on the shop for about 18 years or so. And I would take payment, 
you know, in the form of firearms sometimes and things like that. You couldn't pay my bill, but I've got this rifle or this handgun or this or whatever it was, you know. Uh, and a lot of times the, I would take that. These things are not cheap. No, I mean, there are some that are. The cheap ones typically are not very well made. I mean, that gets into potential safety hazards and, and other issues. So you got to be careful with that. There's just, there's a lot of moving parts and pieces. And that's what, a, first of all, it's what I appreciate with the conversation we've been here having today is we've covered a lot of those parts and pieces, but there's so many things that we haven't talked about. And that's what, yeah. you know, when you're talking about farms, do you go, you know, do you go want the collectible stuff? Do you want the things there are, there are always, I have a running list of firearms that I want. And the vast majority are from movies. Like you talk about, it's like right. this gun was in this movie or whatever the case may be. And it's like, I want that. Why? Because when I go out on the range or when friends go over, I'm like, Whoa, check this out. You know, I've got the handgun or the shotgun or rifle or whatever it was for that they used in this movie. Right. Or whatever it was. So it's so it's a conversation huge. piece. And yeah. in the, in the world yeah. of guitars, there's a thing called the signature guitar, as you know, yes. that you, you know, yes. when, when Eddie Van Halen died, he had, he was known for that guitar with the red and white stripes mm-hmm. on it, you know, and, and and all these weird little things he'd done to it that, that you know, with his own monkeying around. And they right. made runs of those guitars that are faithful reproductions, even to the mistakes that Eddie made when he was doing his modifications. Right. And for some reason, people want those things. Yeah. And, um, it's and a so, story. It's a story. But but I think the thing underlying it that, that can be handy when you're talking to people who do live in urban environments and are very never very more than uh five minutes away from a from a squad car arriving at their door mm-hmm. so they don't have the 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 need they don't feel the need for a gun and they they fail to understand the other they also fail to understand the other going to gun shows and collectible shows and so i sure. think there's probably a, a good way to try to co- connect that to other types of of hobbyist ideas and one of them sure. is something that i talk about pretty frequently with this particularly with the younger guys that contact me is uh mastery and uh when you become when you start knowing something really deeply the deeper you know it you know its history you know its uses right. you know how right. it's manufactured i'm sure that you can take apart all of your guns and put them back together sure. and probably do and yes. um and so repair the, maintenance there is a difference stuff. between a guy who has a guitar and and knows three or four eagle songs and takes it to the campfire and plays <laughs> right. and he's that guy there's a difference between him and a guy who can take a guitar apart and solder its pieces mm-hmm. and understands what it is and knows a collectible when he sees it and I remember when I first started playing guitar, I'd be around guys and they would be talking about gear. And I go, this is so boring. Stop talking about guitars. You know, you drive me crazy. And I was a guitar player. Uh-huh. But it's years and years later now that I can listen to guys talking about guitars and understand what they're talking about and get why that's important and get why knowing every little thing, it gives you a sense of mastery for your, for yourself. You right. know what I mean? And right. And that's almost always a good thing for a male to have a sense of mastery and to also have a group of other males who know the difference between a a person at mastery level and a noob. Right. You know, so uh, somebody pretending, which is even worse. Yeah. Yeah. So you find your Yeah. And you can spot those guys immediately because they don't know what they don't know. Right. So they they, they know one or two. And I was I've been that guy a million times where I get above uh, I get out over my skis initially because I know one or two things and think I, you know, I'm learning. 
I'm learning how to frisbee golf now, and I, I have to. I oh, determined that I will not that. set pretend I know more than I do. Right, <laughs> you right. Know, I'm not going to do that. But um, but but that's that actually, a, a person who has a support like you do, where oh. you know you're part of a community. Community yes. is is one of the best things that counteracts whatever was going on in the mind of this kid who went into uh, Buffalo and shot up that supermarket. Correct. That kid didn't have community. No, he did not. A lot now, of supporting ones for sure. Right now, if instead of going down the instead of going down the white supremacist rabbit hole, if he had gone down a gun ownership gun expertise rabbit hole and started learning more about guns and meeting up with older guys out at the range, he would not have done that. If he, hundred percent, if he had pursued, um, education, yes, right. Right. Um, he would have inevitably ran into someone that would not that they would not, not have talked him that he'd been successful at talking him down, but I guarantee you, he would have run into somebody that would have tried. Yeah, and the chances are just being around older guys and learning from them and, and yes. being talked to as yeah. if he were an intelligent person capable of learning. Mm -hmm. For some reason, he came unmoored, as did the guys in that, that went into Columbine that kind of got this whole mass sh sure. school shooting thing going. Um, they were disconnected in some way. They, they you know, and it, it's really important that young males be learning from older males and or 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 other males that are at a higher level of knowledge about whatever is the matrix and in your sense it's firearms and mine it's guitars and guitar playing correct yes but but i i learned so much from older guys not there are no yeah. older guys anymore but there are guys <laughs> there are guys who are older in their understanding of guitars right, right. so yeah. um that uh and it's i can't tell you how important it is to have humility and to be able to ask questions and learn from older guys and and how what a nice thing it brings out in those and uh, those guys who have more experience how much those guys want to share their knowledge you know i i used to be very very reticent to ask some another male hey you know hey what 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 kind of motorcycle is this? I didn't want to seem like I didn't right. know anything. Right. But you find out that you do, and then the, this wealth of information comes pouring out because that person knows so much about that. They're just waiting for somebody to ask that question. Yeah. So is there some way in which the gun... Um, I, I had this idea years ago, and it's going to probably sound stupid to you, but but I, I, I thought of something that... that something that could be called like a gun library where mm -hmm. um where people could could if they wanted certain types of guns they could be stored at this place for a small fee and there would also be a shooting range and there would be instruction available there and they would have to you know they would have to because we're talking about well-regulated militia it would be it would be a way of now now i'm going in two different directions but i just had this <laughs> right. idea years ago it was just sort of a half-formed idea right where where people could go to learn about their guns and they could store their guns there and it wouldn't be a government facility and it would be largely run by uh, nra members people who uh, know gun training there uh -huh. would be a, it, is that does that make any kind of sense it, just like you'd have a boxing gym to go to you wouldn't have a so it you know does but it it does but it doesn't at the same time so to address the well-regulated part i don't think you and i 
and I don't know, maybe you, yeah, you, I, you I, shift I, business in, but um, I don't think regulated means what a lot of people think it means. Um, but that's that's we can go on for an hour about that uh, to address this, the specifics. Um, there's already gun ranges that allow you to go in and rent a wide variety of things. Uh, there are there is training. A lot of ranges do that sort of thing. If you get down the path of I'm not able to take my firearm to whatever range I want to go to, whether that's for competition or whatever the case may be, um, or it's like me here on my land, I have my own range. Yeah. Um, then you get into the, a European style of that's sort of how the Europeans do that. You, the guns stay at the club and Is that what you, they know, do you only there? use them. Yeah. You can check them out for hunting and, and they're really restrictive on which guns you can have and, and a lot of other thing. And, and it's like, do we not live in America? And if I'm on my own property, not bothering anybody doing my own things with my own legal items, what is it anybody's business? Why am I not allowed to do that? And so I, I understand part of where you were coming from with that. If we're talking about somebody that lives in not even an inner city, but let's just say a, a larger city, an urban style, even if it's a $17,000 uh, population town, like around here, they mm -hmm. live in an apartment, you know, and maybe they don't have room to keep, all the guns that they want there or whatever. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think there are, I think there are ranges, gun shops and ranges that have uh, different programs like that available. If, if that's something that somebody wants to, wants to pursue and check out for sure. It's, it's, it's funny. I mean, we, I think we're one of the things that, that um, is part of it, why it's so deep, deep in our culture is we're the first country really that was born in gun smoke. Oh, yeah. You know, England didn't, uh, you know, win their independence from anybody through guns. They were swinging <laughs> swords and maces. Right. You know, they were shooting arrows at, at most. But really it was that, that technology came of age where it was be useful when we uh, divorced ourselves from the Brits and became a, a country. And so you, this, so patriotism, when people feel patriotism, they have images in their minds of the original patriots who were out there saying give me liberty or give me death and putting their money where their mouth was and shooting and and so it's so ingrained in us in a way that it's not ingrained say in sweden because right. they didn't become a country through guns i'm not saying that's the only reason but there, but also we were a frontier for a long time and the only way that this country then expanded and uh, the Second Amendment sounds like it's written toward, toward frontiers people, doesn't it? You know, to, you know, as if there's not going to be a standing army to protect you, mm -hmm. you're going to need to protect yourselves. And so we, but as we expanded, again, guns came into play. And, right. and then we went and, and some of our proudest moments were, were, were when we took our guns and we went on ships and saved some of these other countries, say, for instance, Europe. Uh, European countries um, from the interlopers and the bad guys so with guns so we have a lot of it tied into our sense of who we are as Americans mm -hmm. guns play a big role in so if you're saying I'm gonna feel some self-esteem as an American um, yeah you know so yeah and, and I mean I mean think about you know um, you know, just the military industrial complex nature of it too. I mean, plays into it as well, but you know, you had so many, uh, inventions when it comes to the firearm 
uh, world. You have so many inventions that, that come from the U.S. And um, just awesome innovations in many different ways. Um, the history is just, yeah, it's rich and it's steeped. And, and the, you know, when we talk about it, we, you know, the anti-gun, you know, anti-Second Amendment uh, it has, again, been around for a very, very long time as well, 120 to 150 years. So, you know, the conversations we're having today uh, about, you know, what law would stop this or stop, it's not any different than conversations people were having 100 years ago, except for the fact that now we've got online and Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all these other, and YouTube and all these other mechanisms for more people to chime in and and, and give their opinions. Um, I think the problem with a lot of people's opinions is they're often not steeped in experience and education. Almost um, never. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, at that point, do we, you know, who do we want to listen to? And I think we're in a day and age to where most people listen to the most flamboyant, regardless of what the tangible stuff that they're actually saying, uh, whoever can say it in the, in the coolest way to say it and, and wear the right clothes and have the right look and everything else when they're saying it, that's who they're going to, you know, the perception of, uh, uh, professionalism, I guess. Right. And, and, you know, people eat that up and then you have people over here that are not being listened to. And that's often what happens in the two, a activism world. I told you about that earlier. We've got the NRA, these three letter organizations, the GOA, the FPC, all these other big, huge two, mm -hmm. a organizations, and they get the bulk majority of the donations and the money and everything else to, to help with legislative efforts, you know, pro second amendment legislative efforts and other things. Um, but behind the scenes, you have the women of the D.C. project, for example, 50 women from 50 different states that converge on Washington, D.C. and talk about, you know, gun rights from, you know, a female perspective and all of that kind of stuff. We have all of these others that get very, very little credit and certainly very, very little donation that actually do more work. Right. But because those big three letter organizations seem professional, they, they're the status quo. They're what everybody has known for years. Right. Um people just just glom onto that stuff and often they get it wrong i find that especially the nra um has been a stick in my crawl use that term again for quite some time now because they will often conflate other political issues with the second amendment and um i don't like to do that i, I think we've stayed pretty much on task talking about gun rights and, and the, the gun issue and, and firearms and the second amendment here um you know, I really don't like getting off in the weeds on a lot of other stuff. Why? Because that's not really my wheelhouse. I can't offer a mm -hmm. lot of uh, education and expertise in those areas. I certainly can't talk to you about, I don't know enough about abortion to be able to talk about that or, or, uh, you know, illegal immigration. I don't know all of the laws that are on the books. I haven't done a lot of the research into all that stuff. I just don't know. So, um, right. Yeah, and I, th I think and it I makes really... a difference who you're listening to makes a big difference. And I really can't talk with any uh, exactactitude about uh, about any kind of gun laws. Um, I, I my wheelhouse is human nature, mm -hmm. basically. Sure. That's the only reason I'm in, interested in politics anyway. Um, but so, how do the well-regulated militia part of the Second Amendment, which seems it's if you put well-regulated in there, that must be there for a reason. What what do you think that that means? Um, I think it means regulated in the sense, and, and I think you were on the right track when you talked about how, you know, the expansion across 
uh, you know, uncharted territory in, in the United States, that sort of stuff. I think right. re- regulated from my reading of not just other historical do- documents, but writings in between some of the founders and the framers uh, of this country. I think it means regular, meaning like, re- you know, at the regular, like ready to go regularly available to uh, take up in the defense. Because I also go into uh, some other stuff. So let's break down the Second Amendment a little bit, okay. if you don't mind. So that's my take on a rail regular. Well, they, they actually used to call regular. militia members regulars, didn't they? Right. And, and that's part of it. So a rail regular being necessary to the security of a free state. Well, being necessary means that some, something in there is important, obviously. If it's necessary. Mm-hmm. So security of a free state. Okay. So what affects the security of a free state? People want to automatically jump to tyranny, right? The government and having to overthrow a tyrannical government. Okay, that's part of it. We just had just come out of that in this country. I can see the correlation there. But there are other factors, right? Um, you know, enemies without and within. There are factors of, let's say, if you are not, um, if you've got a problem where uh, there are bandits stealing your property, right? Um, is that a problem to security? For security, well, of course it is. If it, Absolutely. if you've got people that are starving, is starving people a problem for security? Yeah, security in the sense of the security of your lineages for everybody living and, and carrying on, right? So right. It, it can mean, again, multiple things. It's necessary because there's a lot of things, not just overthrowing a tyrannical government. And I think a lot of pro-2A people get hung up on that big time. Um, anyway, being necessary to restate, the right of the people to keep and bear arms. Okay, lot to lot to chop apart there. The right of the people, the citizenry, um, to keep, which is to have that, to bear it, which is to carry it. And the word arms it doesn't say rifle. It doesn't say firearm. It doesn't say arms means the arms race, arms dealers. Look up arms dealers and see what all they sell. It's not just handguns and shotguns. It's tanks and jet fighters and torpedoes and all kinds of crazy things was well established back in the day. People owned cannons. People owned warships. <laughs> People owned ships that the government helped them equip them uh, as warships even. Um, pirates were utilized even in the War of 1812. Um, so people had access to things well above and beyond, which is a much scarier thought, right? I'm getting really over into crazy territory when I start talking like that. Right, and it makes people... We're wondering if just off camera you've got an anti-aircraft you, gun, you know, right, you've had to build right, a wing onto right. your house to hold it. Right. So, but we're having a conversation about what I think they meant when they wrote this, right? We're not having a conversation about, you know, what I think, should there be any limitations to that nowadays? Um, I think that's a totally different. And then what's interesting <laughs> is, you know, people often go like, like you did, and I'm thinking you probably did that on purpose to provoke the conversation, but people often go to the well-regulated part. And they completely overlook the shall not be infringed. Well, if it could be regulated in the sense of clamping down and restricting people, why in the world did they end it by saying shall not be infringed? No, I, just wasn't, got I, I wasn't saying, necessarily suggesting that it meant uh, government restriction. No, no, I wasn't putting words yeah, in your mouth. I'm I, saying I just people meant, often jump to that. Though. I'm just wondering if there was some way that they were saying, okay, a militia is a thing that is actually that that actually is there, as opposed to just everybody having a gun and then running out and becoming part of a militia in the same way that we see in the movies, they become part of a posse, right? you know? Um, but right. I mean, just that the 
a, a posse, right? Bad guys came in and robbed the town bank, and now we're going to go chase them through the, across the desert until we run them down. Right. So everyone grabbed their gun and their horse, and so I, I think that that's probably the sort of thing that that was a militia. But yeah. uh, but the question is is well regulated. I had never thought about it being just something uh, you're saying what where commonplace. Then this is one of the things that that's that's difficult with trying to figure out exactly what the founders meant because language changes so much. It does, yes, as, as the years mm-hmm. go by, and so then you have to look at different letters and different dialogues they were having back then, which yeah. I have not done to try to I give context. Done, uh, right, there's some give... phenomenal stuff if you start going down the rabbit holes, and and I use the term founders and framers because a lot of people they go to, you know, the people that we all know, the Thomas Jeffersons, the George Washingtons, the Benjamin Franklins, um, and it's really important to jump off into some some of the other folks as well. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember. I think it's the Heritage Foundation. Um, and they get really into the religious over there at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, but they've got some pretty good resources on stuff. If you can, I don't know where anybody comes down on a religion. And I don't want to make this a religious chat. But if you can get away from the religious thing over there enough, they've got some really interesting uh, research and stuff into some of the, the founders and framers that will really help start put this, some of the things at least into perspective. Yeah, it's... Uh... And, you know, I mean, when I and when I have a conversation with anyone, because I I'm just concerned my my life philosophy is the well-being of the species. That's Mm -hmm. my life philosophy in five words. And, you know, I'm always concerned with not just my own well-being, but I'm looking around. I'm going, okay, what? And and that's why a a lot of the reasons that I left the left is because I thought that a lot of the things they were doing to try to help were actually hurting people. Like like we talked earlier, is when does help become an enablement? Right. And in the wrong sense. Um, And so I I started you know divorcing myself from a lot of things over there simply because they were not working. So I'm always looking for what works you know and doesn't not necessarily just what works for me right. and so uh well you know not not to drag the conversation on too long i know you're busy and i'm busy when we probably should wrap this up or nobody will watch it ah, right <laughs> hopefully they uh, but, do it's been a great conversation but but there was that uh, shooting just in the last uh, week or so in um in austin texas mm-hmm. where that young woman who was a gravel uh dirt bike racer bicycle racer um and a top one, you know, she was winning races and she got involved romantically with a male who did the same sport and he had a girlfriend and he had previously bought her a gun. If if the stories that I'm reading are, are true, he had bought her a gun, his live-in girlfriend. And then he was having dalliances on the side, perhaps, yes. or we don't know. Maybe he said, okay, we're on a break and he dated somebody. It could have been all on the up and up. But in her mind, apparently, because she hasn't been seen since it happened, so she's kind of pointing the finger at herself. Right. Um, she took that gun and murdered somebody with it. And so, it, it, you know, it's those sorts of things, almost more than the thing that happened in the supermarket, because mm-hmm. I, I can look at that and I go, for all of the horror and the, the more death involved there than this single death, mm-hmm. um, there's a way in which that's not a random thing. It ties into all these other things we know about society. We, we that we, you know, the rabbit holes people are going down, and sure. uh, the the youth youth feeling alienated and and 
So in a way, I understand that in a strange way more than this other thing. You know, it's like just right. it's just that randomness that that if that gun hadn't been in her hand, she would have gone over there and had a screaming fit and they would have pulled each other's hair. And now a, a, a young woman who's loved by many people is gone from the planet forever. And that's that thing about guns that's always going to be difficult is they have a greater capability than anything else to reach out and snuff a life. And, and I think that that just, I, it, it, it causes me to be in turmoil about it as much as I understand your position. Well, we don't want, we don't, like I said, we don't want pain and anguish and, and strife right. and death. I mean, nobody, nobody wants that. Um, in that situation, my mind goes to, we're not, fortune tellers or minority report so to say in any of those situations to say if that person didn't have that firearm would it have saved a life we don't know that and then in fact could cause more lives because maybe she runs that chick with her kids or friends off the road or maybe you know sure who knows, who knows what could have been right um yeah but there's so, there's this it, it when you're when you're looking at it you know something that you can do in a fit of passion mm-hmm. and you you could you could say okay well i'm going to go get in my car and i'm going to wait for them to be on the road and then i'm going to chase after them i'm going to wait for her to be in a crosswalk and run her over um it's it, it's the the thing would have passed by then you know you just just extrapolating human nature as we know it everybody right. know, has known a possessive female out of her mind at right. a, a given point Certainly I have. <laughs> but then and, uh, where's the, where is the, you know, is there no blame? And maybe this is the responsible firearm owner in me. Is there no blame on the guy that purchased the firearm and give it to the chick? I mean, was there any education that went along with that? Did he know well, her exactly. mental state? Did he not, yeah. did he not say, Hey, I'm messing around on this woman, which could affect her mentally. Well, and now I'm giving her a firearm on top of it. Well, maybe this comes into the well-regulated thing that that it, if a person is going to buy a, a gun for somebody that they should have to have some sort of training and some sort of uh, talking to with an expert such as you who understands so much more than they do. Um, I'm, I'm not ta- so much talking about government regulation so much as I guess I don't I don't know where I'm. I'm just well, I can tell just, you that I can tell you that I, I how many times on on the, and we've been going for like an hour and 45 minutes now. But yeah, how many times have I talked about safe, responsible, educated? Constantly. You know, how many times have I said that? Totally. So I'm not rare in the community when, you know, if you're coming in and you want to experience firearms and you want to for whatever the, the myriad of reasons that you could enjoy, you know, responsible firearm use. Um you know, education is key, and there's plenty of people out here in the community, the, the firearm community, that's willing to help with that ed- education. Plenty of people. So, sure. um, the the problem with regulate with allow it's what we got back with self governance and self regulation, right? The community already does that. So for so for someone to say, well, the government needs to force all of that. It's like, well, at what point is there some personal responsibility? I've, I've talked about responsible firearm ownership multiple times, and we've talked about the responsibility um, of your freedoms and liberty. So at what point does that person need to be need to be responsible? Right. Well, if, if, and they say, hey, I got a firearm. I don't know about this firearm. I got one or two things I need to do. I either need to get 
educated and learned how to use it safely and all this stuff, or I need to get rid of it. I need to get away from it. And there's right, mechanisms and, which, and there's mechanisms within the firearm community, easy to reach, easy to get literally picking up upon and calling a gun shop or a gun range. Yeah. And a person can get that help without a doubt. It's just that in these situations, uh, the, a, a person who needs that isn't going to, is going to say that bitch and she's going <laughs> to grab the gun that's that, you know, somebody gave her. Yeah. Maybe she asked for it. Maybe she didn't. Maybe his probably his intention was thinking that she'll be able to protect herself at some point. And now she, when they catch her, if she doesn't already blow her own brains out, she'll probably be in prison for the rest of her life and right. uh, or for at least a very long time. And this woman is gone and that guy's all, uh, you know, and all her loved ones have a giant hole in their lives. So right. it it's there's an order of, of magnitude of, of danger around a gun that you don't have even around something that we know to be somewhat uh, uh dangerous like motorcycle racing or something uh-huh. like that we you know or the guys that go climb mount everest i always go well i think that's totally irresponsible to risk your life on mount everest you have people at home that love you right. you know you don't own yourself once you once you've got a family you're you're part of you know sorry now you own a percentage of yourself right. and so putting one in one in one's own self in terrible danger in some of these very you know these crazy sports kids are doing these days um, mm-hmm. is is an is an issue too. And these are I just think these are societal issues that we're we're doing the right thing. You and I here we're talking about them and being frank about them and not and not yeah. feeling that we're stuck in one or another political uh, straitjacket. So right, no, um, yeah, totally. There aren't really easy answers on these things, but it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. It has and getting to know you a little bit, and I hope I uh, hope you feel the same. No, I've, I've enjoyed it. I, I kind of had a feeling it would kind of go this way, and uh, and it has. It's been a whole lot of fun. So I want to thank you. Uh, you know, thank well, you for, for joining us, and uh, and thank your your viewers, because I, I guess you'll probably put this on your channel a little later on. And uh, so yeah, thanks as soon as we for, figured that out. Everybody, boy, if they win an iron 52 minutes or whatever it is now, they're troopers. So yeah, I salute, everybody, I salute if, you for so that. If anybody's still here in the room, <laughs> make sure you check out Chris's channel and uh, his website and all that stuff. That's CloverTac. You can't miss it. So uh, hang around for a second, Dave. I'm going to run the outro here for us. Uh, okay, and nope. then uh, I'll let you know when we're clear. For everybody else, thanks for, uh, again, uh, a pleasure. Iron 42 minutes been an awesome conversation. Uh, yeah, and until next time. In, everybody. Until next time, don't forget to chain fire freedom. Bye. We appreciate the Patreon patrons and YouTube channel members who keep these podcasts going. If you're looking for cool stickers, patches, and other gear, be sure to check out CloverTac.com. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the CloverTac Podcast.